from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got to This is the Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at 6. The cruise alongside with you Friday, August 7th. We made it to the end of the week. Thanks for hanging out this morning ahead in this hour. We got some interesting news yesterday. Breaking yesterday morning, Mike Silver at the NFL Network tweeting out that the Seahawks appear to have moved on from Jadevian Clowney and that they have interest in two veteran free agent pass rushers. We'll discuss. We also got to hear from him. He hopped on, joined Danny and Gallant shortly after that. So we'll hear his reasoning on that. We also got to hear from DK Metcalf yesterday on his special relationship with Russell Wilson, who has the better work ethic between the two of them. And the Angels uh, topping the Mariners 6-1. Unfortunately, uh, Taiwan Walker having a few struggles out there on the mound and a day off for Kyle Lewis yesterday ahead of this weekend series against the Colorado Rockies as they come to town. It's all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. NFL Network's Mike Silver tweeted out yesterday morning at Mike Silver, while the Seahawks appear to have moved on from Jadevian Clowney, who wants more than they're willing to pay, the team has interest in two veteran free agent pass rushers, linebacker Clay Matthews and defensive end Everson Griffin. A deal could happen soon. Silver then joined Danny and Gallant here on 710 ESPN Seattle shortly after to explain. Well, I don't think Clowney's going to happen, but... Um, you know, you've got this Trojan fest, uh, where Everson Griffin is still out there. Uh, he's had a very productive career with the Vikings and Clay Matthews, who, uh, after all those years with the Packers, I thought looked really good for the Rams when he was healthy last year. Both veteran pass rushers had eight sacks in 2019. Clay playing for the Rams, as we know here in the NFC West, Everson for the Vikings. Clay played in 13 games to Everson's. 15. Clay, slightly older of the two former USC uh, standouts at 34, 6'3", 255, played outside linebacker for most of his career, 11 years now in the league after being drafted by the Packers back in the first round in 2009, or 2009 excuse me, um, and spending a decade with Green Bay. We know that all too well, too, here in Seattle. 91 and a half sacks in his career, six-time Pro Bowler, but his last Pro Bowl season was back in 2015. Mike Silver, though, still thinks Clay Matthews looks pretty good. You know, I watched him pretty closely last year. I happened to cover the Rams a bunch in the games that he played, and I thought he was really good. I thought he looked like he had a burst, and he played so hard, and, um, you know, if you were going to try to say Clay Matthews doesn't have much left, your case would be, well, he keeps breaking down. There are these nagging injuries. So maybe that's going on. But the player that I see when he's out there looks really, really good to me. And, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a professional talent evaluator, but he kind of popped on the screen, I thought. Dave Wyman yesterday with some thoughts on both of these two in the afternoon, Bob, Dave, and more, and talking about Matthews, where he fits in more position-wise for the Seahawks. He's really a Leo is, is what you're going to have. You're, not, you're probably not going to play him at linebacker. 
And so you know, again, gonna... explain for people what a Leo is, how it, how it's yeah. different from a traditional linebacker. Yeah, he's the guy that comes off the Cliff Averill, you know, that comes off the backside. You usually a little bit slimmer pass rusher. The quickness. The guy on the other side is like your defensive end. You know, he's uh, Rasheem Green, where you know he, he's a big, solid guy. Plays the five technique. So basically, over a tackle, you're going to be taken on the tackle. Everson Griffin, a little bit different, uh, 32 years old, 6'3", 273, and more of that traditional defensive end taken by Minnesota in the fourth round back in 2010 and spent a decade with the Vikings, telling 74 and a half sacks, four-time Pro Bowler, but including last season, had a pretty impressive last year. And Mike Silver yesterday on Everson Griffin, uh, still looking pretty good. He's played 10 years, and not everybody's Michael Strahan, uh, you know, who can go out there at 35 and look like you're 23. So uh, those are probably the two factors. But, um, you know, I, I, I thought he had a pretty good year last year. Well, what about his fit specifically here in Seattle? When he first was kind of floated out there with the Seahawks uh, months ago, I thought that makes a lot of sense. And uh, you're, you're right, the 2018 situation, first of all, it sounded pretty scary at the time, and it sounds like he's gotten to a much better place, and that's obviously – more important, but you know, certainly uh, teams are trying to ensure that they're getting a guy who is in a good place, you know, and and able to to perform at its highest level. So that probably is going on as well. Our own Dave Wyman too yesterday talking about Griffin and how he's really freed up his teammate Neil Hunter to rack up some sacks. Griffin, you know, he's one of those guys that you know, I I. On the other side of him this year, if you look at um, Daniil Hunter this last year, I mean, he, he's one of those guys that makes it possible for guys on the other side to rush the passer. Daniil Hunter in Minnesota has had 28 sacks the last two seasons. And I think a lot of it is because of the play by Everson Griffin on the strong side. So when it comes down to comparing these two veteran pass rushers, Wyman also, I thought, with some great thoughts on where the Seahawks need more depth. He thinks Seattle's uh, pretty set in terms of flexibility at that Leo position, but really needing more in the five-tech area. And then on the other side, you know, you've got like a defensive end. Well, they don't really have that many of those. You know, they they've, they have Rasheem Green and LJ Collier from what I'm looking at, because I'm looking at all of the Leos that they have, which are... You know, if you if you Irvin. get Clay Matthews in there, yeah, you got Bruce Irvin, you got Daryl Taylor. I think is what how they drafted him. Same thing with Alton Robinson. I don't think those guys are defensive end types. They they may prove me wrong. Benson Mayoa, and then you know they got Eli Menser, which you know I don't know the kid out of Albany. He's two hundred twenty five pounds, hmm. and he's like a quick twitch edge rusher. And then the other guy, Marcus Webb, the kid out of Detroit, he's like two forty five. So they have a bunch of Leos. So Wyman saying that uh, he wouldn't be upset about signing Clay Matthews here in Seattle, but that he thinks that the Seahawks' bigger position of need would be for Everson Griffin. I'll take, you know, I'll take uh, Clay Matthews. Great talent, everything. But if you just look at the numbers, to me, at, at least on the defensive line, and yeah, to me, it, as far as the numbers go, it, it looks to me like they, they certainly could, they need Griffin more than they need Matthews. Part of Mike Silver's tweet yesterday also centered around the Seahawks uh, moving on from Jadevian Clowney, and he spoke to Danny Glant why he doesn't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't. I, I really feel like the Clowney thing won't happen. The Seahawks have come 
way, way off of their highest offer, which was, you know, probably up to 16 million with bells and whistles. Uh, and I think he's still above that in terms of what he's seeking. And they're way, way, uh, lower in their budget. So I don't think Clowney's going to happen. But- and also where he thinks Clowney might land, the Titans looking like a likely candidate. I, you know, I keep guessing. Um, I think Tennessee would be the team that if you polled other coaches and GMs around the league as to what they thought would happen, they're just kind of assuming that's where it'll be. But, um, you know, it hasn't. Uh, Tennessee, meanwhile, signed Vic Beasley in free agency, another edge rusher, and he hasn't shown up. So uh, you would, you know, it, it's tough not to connect those dots. Mike Silver, also on elements that are preventing Clowney from being signed. A, a lot of people expecting to see uh, a contract earlier than this, but elements, especially now COVID-19 realities that are, are preventing that from happening. When you look at next year's salary cap as being you know, possibly as low as $175 million, uh, which is going to be far less than what teams had been budgeting pre-pandemic, then, uh, you know, it, it, teams are starting to get a little more frugal. And I think owners are getting more, uh, you know, reticent to write checks in general, some more than others. And uh, and then the third element, and this is killing Clowney, and it's, you know, it's killing Colin Kaepernick and, and others. Uh, Clowney's a guy that, before you write the check, you'd like to see them. Which is hard to bring in new players right now, Mike Silver said. Also, with some thoughts on the trade for Jamal Adams, two reasons he likes the Seahawks trade for Jamal Adams. Two reasons. One, I just think Jamal Adams is better than Jalen Ramsey. I know Jalen Ramsey's good. Um, I think Jamal Adams is a game-changing type of player who can affect the game a little more. And two, I, I, I just have more confidence that uh, John Schneider has a plan to get him signed and that if they didn't actually agree to a deal before the trade, they figured out the parameters of, of what's likely to happen and, and it'll work. Coming up next on the Blitz, we spent a lot of time already talking about the defensive side of things, but we got to hear from DK Metcalf yesterday on why this offseason has been a challenge, but also one that he has faced head on his special relationship with Russell Wilson that's deeper than football. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. The play fake by Russell, who stops, looks, throws back side, Metcalf catches it, down the sideline, 15, 10, 5, he's in, touchdown, Seahawks! And if Tampa Bay can do it, the Seahawks can do it one better. From 53, Russell with a beautiful rainbow shot to Metcalf, who ran away from the defense. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, August 7th. We made it to the weekend. We're almost there, friends. Just reliving a little of DK Metcalf's impressive rookie season. And we got to hear from him yesterday as he spoke to the media ahead of training camp or as they get into training camp. He mentioned that this offseason was definitely a challenge doing things virtually. But he also says that it's going to be special for whoever gets to hoist that trophy at the end. of It's a challenge, but, you know, we're all up for it. I mean, that's that's the great thing about being athletes. Uh, You know, our bodies are made to adapt in, in situations. And I think it's going to be fun to just to see how everybody treats this and, 
you know, who's going to come out on top. I think this year is going to be special for, you know, whichever team uh, wins the Super Bowl or, you know, however many games we get to play. But, you know, I, I'm just curious and uh, can't wait to see how everything just plays out. When it comes to the health and safety aspect of the COVID pandemic, Metcalf definitely mentioning there's concerns. Um, he even mentioned that he had some family members that have dealt with COVID. Yes, sir. I had a, a couple of my uh, cousins uh, contract the virus. You know, I, it's it's real out there. And, you know, I'm not going to let it, I would say, affect me or uh, anything. But, you know, I'm taking precautions just like my family has it. And, you know, I got my teammates in the back of my mind, any family members, friends that I come in contact with. I'm, I'm going to take care of them. But, you know, I'm not going to let them. the virus just slow me down or, or try to, you know, make, make, uh, make it bigger than what it is because uh, my God is bigger than this virus, the way I look at it, and I'm just going to continue to just be me and keep keep going. Does he have any hesitations about playing this season? I haven't played since January. No, I ain't played since January, man. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. DK Metcalf also speaking on the discipline that will be required to keep the team COVID-free this season, the Seahawks having no positive tests as of now. I mean, we're going to see, man. Um, you know, I think our team is pretty disciplined. Um, you know, we, we had zero positive tests, you know, the first week. So, I mean, our team is going gonna, is gonna, to, you know, just continue to build on that and, you know, just continue to stay disciplined. A really impressive rookie season for DK Metcalf, of course. Uh, 58 receptions, 900 yards, and playing in all as 16 games. But one of the biggest things he learned was how to take care of his body this offseason. How to take care of your body during the offseason. Because I know I've been working since February. I may have started too early in some people's minds. But, you know, just really taking the time off and just in back full recovery so I can just, you know, get back to OTA. Well, we didn't have OTA this year, but, you know, during the normal schedule, you know, just get back into the routine of everything. But, you know, just taking the time to recovery and just uh, chill out from football for a little bit and then just, uh, you know, get back to work. So everything, when everything starts to ramp up, you know, it's not going to be like I'm just being thrown into a fire or, you know, I'm, I'm tired or fatigued with everything. Any surprises from his rookie season? I got into a daily routine, a weekly routine throughout the whole year. And I found myself doing, you know, the same thing, uh, you know, every every week. And I didn't get tired of it. And I think that was that's something that's unique, I think, because, um, you know, I, I, I try to adapt everything that I do. Um, but, you know, my weekly routine never changed last year. I think that was kind of kind of weird to me because I didn't get bored of it. I didn't get tired of it. Uh, I didn't get tired of coming in and learning new plays or watching the same old plays that, we, that we've run. Um, I mean, it was, it was just kind of just fun just being here. We've seen plenty of videos of DK and Russell spending time together, working out together, putting in that time to develop that chemistry. And he mentioned that he and Russ, they have a relationship that just goes beyond football. Right. I mean, we know how each other, I mean, we know how one another is going to react to certain things. And I mean, it's just a bond that goes further than football. You know, football is only a short period of my life. You know, just building relationships while I'm here that, that's going to last a, a, a lifetime. So, I mean, just any bond that you have, Besides just the common, hey, go run that, go run that route and be done is, is going to be great. DK Metcalf, quite the competitor. We know Russell Wilson never time to sleep. Uh, so, who has the better work ethic between he and Russ? Oh, me, hands down. I mean, I don't think anybody can outwork me when I put my mind to it. DK saying me, hands down. Pete Carroll mentioned earlier too uh, in his pre-training uh, camp. 
press conference. What gives Metcalf a chance to be even better this year is his mentality. Believes that he's going to be even better this year. He spent, oh, I don't know, at least a month with Russell um, uh, working out, and uh, they found a way to do it, and uh, had a phenomenal summer in that regard. Um, what, what gives him a chance to be a really exciting player is his, his mentality. He knows exactly who he is. He knows where he's come from. He knows what it's all about. He's not going to let anybody get in, in, in the way of him being all he can be. And that's, shoot, that's all we could ever ask for. What that is, I don't know. I don't know, you know. But, but now we know we can move him around. We can, we can ask him to do a lot of different stuff. You know, we were hesitant because he was a young player and all. But, uh, we weren't sure if he was able to handle stuff, but we know now he's really a bright football player, and he's got flexibility, and he blocks, and he, he can rip down the field. Also, DK mentioning that he worked out with Richard Sherman a little bit this offseason. He's been learning a lot from Greg Olson as well, and he believes it's going to be pretty special this year. So always great to hear from DK. Up next on the Blitz, we heard from NFL Network's Mike Silver yesterday that the Seahawks were moving on from Jadevian Clowney, but considering two veteran pass rushers. And yesterday, Dave Wyman broke down the skill sets of Everson Griffin and Clay Matthews and why Everson Griffin is a better fit here than Clay. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ES. In Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines Studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, August 7th. Our own Dave Wyman, he took some time yesterday on Bob David Moore. You can listen every day from 3 to 7 p.m. right here on 710 ESPN Seattle to break down the differences, similarities between veteran pass rushers Clay Matthews and Everson Griffin. Those were the two names mentioned by NFL Network's Mike Silver yesterday. Uh, He tweeted it out, then joined Danny and Gallant to discuss the interest the Seahawks had. Uh, But Dave breaking down why Everson Griffin is a better fit here in Seattle in his mind than Clay Matthews. What's going on with the Seahawks, everything else going on in the NFL, but some news coming out, guys, from Mike Silver talking about Jadevian Clowney in the Seahawks, and he doesn't think Clowney and the Seahawks are a match anymore, that it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I don't. I, I really feel like the Clowney thing won't happen. The Seahawks have come way, way off of their highest offer, which was you know probably up to $16 million with bells and whistles, uh, and I think he's still above that in terms of what he's seeking, and they're way, way uh, lower in their budget. So I don't think Cloudy's going to happen. So before we move on to who he thinks may happen for this team, is that, I mean, I, at this point I feel kind of numb. Like, I, you know, in terms of hope, it's gone up, it's gone down, it's been the roller coaster. All right, maybe they got a chance. All right, it looks done. He's Dave, I'll start with you. Just in terms of the fit, and, and, and again, John has been a guy that says, well, he doesn't really fit because he's a linebacker. You've got all these other guys. You, do you think they use him differently? Could they bring him in and use him as sort of a hybrid defensive end linebacker? What, what do you think? Well, they already have so many linebackers, you know, that we're already talking, and I mean, I guess not so many, but just talent-wise. By the way, I went down to the VMAC today to get tested. I'm in Tier 2 because, you know, we're going to be going in the building and everything. It's really hard to, you know, uh, most guys I know, I'm like the Griffin brothers, you know, even though they have their masks on. You know, it's like you—you you, you definitely know who they are. I know, I know who Bobby is, but there's some guys that, you know, are unfamiliar. I was able to figure out. I saw Finney, BJ Finney, mm-hmm. but you know what I saw today was a kid I'd not seen before until I looked in his eyes. Jordan Brooks. He's got those 
evil linebacker eyes, man. Mm. Are they Singletary eyes? Yes. Well, no, because his are sort of wide. These are like, I'm going to hit you eyes. And uh, (laughs) that's all I could see over the top of the mask, and I I got so fired up. I'm like, yeah, that's Jordan Brooks right there. That was when I did my breakdown on Seahawks.com of him. I said, you know, look at his mug shot. You know, his shot at the... At the combine, and they just, they did kind of a close up on his eyes, but yeah, I, I love that. It was good. It's good to to see him and some of the players down there. But I would break it down this way because we're talking about Everson Griffin here too, right? Yeah, we'll get to him and in a minute. But just Clay Matthews, well, I, how does does they, he fit? They go together though to me because here's the thing: you, you first of all, they're both from USC, right? Um, one guy in his twelfth year, one guy in his eleventh year. But if you bring Clay Matthews in here, and they both had the same number of sacks, both mm-hmm. had eight. But if you bring him in here, he's really a Leo, is is what you're going to have. You're not, you're probably not going to play him at linebacker. And so you know, again, gonna, explain for people what a Leo is, how how it's yeah. different from a traditional linebacker. Yeah, he's the guy that comes off the Cliff Averill, you know, that comes off the backside. You usually a little bit slimmer pass rusher. The quickness, the guy on the other side is like your defensive end. You know, he's uh, Rasheem Green, where you know he, he's a big, solid guy. Plays the five technique, so basically over a tackle, you're going to be taken on the tackle. The guy on the Leo side is, you know, sometimes they'll have him sort of angled in and he'll just be rushing off the weak side and his job is just to go try to beat a guy on the outside or try to spin move inside but he's more of a, a lighter quicker you know unique and type mm-hmm. of guy right so and then on the other side you know you've got like a defensive end well they don't really have that many of those you know they they've had, they have Rasheem Green and LJ Collier from what I'm looking at because I'm looking at all of the Leos that they have, which are, you know, if you if you Irvin. get Clay Matthews in there, yeah, you got Bruce Irvin, you got Daryl Taylor. I think is what how they drafted him. Same thing with Alton Robinson. I don't think those guys are defensive end types. They they may prove me wrong. Benson Mayoa, and then you know they got Eli Menser, which you know I don't know the kid out of Albany. He's two hundred twenty five pounds, mm-hmm. and he's like a quick twitch edge rusher. And then the other guy, Marcus Webb, the kid out of Detroit, he's like two forty five. So they have a bunch of Leos. Which you can be a know, Leo. Yeah, exactly. If you have Shaquem, you know, rushing off the edge, and he, he'd he'd be that backside or weak side edge rusher. So, and and that's the difference. I mean, you're you're more, you know, you're you're more stout if you're on the defensive inside. You're um, a guy that takes on blocks, takes on the tackle, and you know, you, you've kind of got a two way rush. But uh, you know, coming off the edge, you want this quick twitch, you know, Bruce Irvin type of guy. And they got they already have a bunch of those guys. Remember, you can listen to Bob Dave Moore every day from uh, 3 to 7 p.m. right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Up next, Jerry DePoto also taking some time to chat with Danny and Gallant yesterday about a lot of the young, exciting prospects in the Mariner system, including Kyle Lewis. He got a day off yesterday. We get to, did get to see him in an interview uh, with the guys on the Root broadcast, which was cool during the game. But Jerry DePoto on Kyle, as well as Jared Kelnick, and an update on Julio Rodriguez. Man, it's been fun to watch Kyle Lewis, a guy that's hit safely in all but one game so far this season. He sprays the ball to all fields. It's really been incredible to watch. What's what's been your perspective as the GM, Jerry? Uh, what you said. I, I pinch myself every day. It's uh, 
this is what we thought Kyle was capable of back in 2016. And we never really wavered through his time in player development and tried to be supportive of him, and uh, you know, both in, in helping him get back physically and emotionally from, from really tough injuries. And I, I've said it before, it all comes down to the character and, and his ethic. It, he's been unbelievable in his, in his focus through time, and, and he deserves all the good things that are happening to him right now. It, it's, he is using, I, frankly, he's hitting center to right field so consistently that you forget that he's capable of hitting the ball 120 miles an hour to his pull side. <laughs> and the, he's playing an excellent center field. He's throwing well and accurately. I was last night to me, the two underlying things in that game that, you know, outside of a couple of hits, one of them really big, taking a critical walk at a, at a big time in the game, doing things that, that, that veteran players do. And, and despite the fact that he's 150 plate appearances into his major league career, you know, he stole his first base with Kyle, Kyle can run, you know, and, and that's something that was really encouraging was to see him trust it and just go run. And the other was what could have been a really hairy play at the plate was him come around third base and move toward home plate and, and just approach it in a, in a way like, Hey, this is, I've been here before I can do it again. And, uh, and then just go play a really good game. I, I thought they were really positive developments and, and you can see his confidence grow every single day. And you know, he's, he is now so far beyond the, the what will, will Kyle be able to overcome some of the injuries he had to endure. He's, he's, he is so good right now in all ways, and it's, it's refreshing to watch. And, and, and I think, oddly enough, for a guy who you know, never played above double-A, this is another in our, in our group that's never played above double-A, he has yet to hit that bump in the road. And inevitably he will, but it is, it is so fun to see and encouraging to know that he can make the adjustments and be confident that he's a big league player. We're also curious as to what's going on with the young players in Tacoma. I, I'm curious as to how Julio's rehab is going right now and, uh, and, and where he is in that process. And, of course, as to uh, Kelnick, where you're at, what's he working on specifically as far as his development goes? I guess I'll go in, in reverse order. Kelnick is working on hitting homers. <laughs> is, uh, you know, he, he's, he's down there, as, as expected, he's down there raking. And uh, it's, it's two, three hits a day. I saw him yesterday morning and uh, in a really brief game that lasted just uh, four and a half innings. He, he got a couple of at-bats and he singled the right field the day before uh, or the game before, you know, got three hits, hit a homer. He, he, has, he is an exceptional prospect and and can really hit he has real power you know we remain committed to the idea of not rushing him uh, faster than is reasonable and uh while we're watching every day to see how he continues to develop and and he's doing a really good job he's playing multiple outfield spots to stay ready for whatever opportunity may arise and and you know the timing of his arriving in Seattle remains to be seen but it's inevitable and whether it's whether it's late this year or early next it, we don't see the, the positive outcomes with rushing it. You know, we, we understand where we are in our growth. We understand that he has had, you know, less than 100 plate appearances above a ball. And that is a real fast track. And, and that might be asking for trouble. Uh, there's, once you've experienced the upper levels in a more meaningful way, we think that is, is, is a positive. And, and we'll see where it goes. And with Julio, he gets his cast off uh, Tuesday of next week and, and can start resuming full baseball activity. 
right now he's he's working his butt off in the weight room. He's taking one-handed swings and going through all the same educational and, and uh, I guess, developmental non-baseball skill-oriented work that the rest of the guys are. That full interview from Jerry DePoto, the Jerry DePoto Show, available for you at 710sports.com. Just click on the podcast tab. Up next on The Blitz, it's time for the hot list. Uh, all of the updates from round one of the PGA Championship, including Bryson DeChambeau just shattering his driver. Also, Tiger Woods working his way to within a few strokes of the lead as well. It's all ahead in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Airline Studio. It's time for the Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at six forty-five. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Unfortunately, falling to the Angels yesterday, 6-1. to one. Shohei Otani homered in his first plate appearance since being shut down as a pitcher. Drove a 1-0 pitch from Seattle starter Taiwan Walker to the opposite field. Fly ball deep to left field. Gordon back to the one track. Leaps up at the wall, and it's gone. Goodbye, baseball. Shohei Otani with an opposite field home run into the Edgar's Cantina. Giving the Angels a one to nothing lead here in the top of the first inning. It was Otani's third home run of the season, and all of them have come against the Mariners. He homered twice last week at home against Seattle. The Angels did shut down Otani's arm, the pitching side of things, for the, the rest of the season because he strained the flexor pronator mass near the elbow. The recovery from that strain requires him to abstain from throwing for four to six weeks, but still able to do some damage at the plate. Taiwan, speaking after the game, said he even felt he made a good pitch on the ball that when Otani ended up knocking out of the park. Uh, but also Walker just not having the same feel out on the mound yesterday, losing some of the command we saw in his last outing. Three and two-thirds innings for Walker yesterday. Four earned runs, three walks, three strikeouts. Scott service after the game on Taiwan's start. I think a, a little bit of the, the rustiness when you, you know, Taiwan has not pitched a lot in the last couple of years, and the days when you don't feel 100% and you kind of get out of whack at that moment, you know, how do you fix it? How do you get uh, back on the on the rails again? And um, sometimes it's as simple as uh, I got to get this ball down. I got <laughs> you do it externally and aim lower. Other times it's mechanical, but uh, yeah, that, that was the big issue there in the fourth inning. And Max Stassi added a two-run home run in the eighth, as well his fourth of the year. Angels starter Dylan Bundy, he was pretty incredible, struck out 10 in the third complete game of his career, allowed four hits, picked up his 10th strikeout after getting Kyle Seeger in the ninth. His only mistake, an elevated changeup that Daniel Vogelbach lined into the right field seats for a solo shot. The wind-up and the 1-0 pitch, swung on, belted deep to right field. Good one going back, looking back, and this one is gone. Daniel Vogelback with his first home run of the season into the lower deck in right field to get the Mariners on the scoreboard. It's now the Angels four, the Mariners one, and number one for Daniel. Got service on Vogie getting a big hit there. But nice to see Vogie get one. Uh, we need to get him going. Uh, would really help our offense getting consistent quality at bats out of him and 
seen him pop a few balls over the fence because we've seen him uh, when Vogie gets going uh, he can be a big force in this league so Matt in the fourth inning and Shedlong Jr. following with a double but Bundy escaped the threat retired 17 of his final 18 in the fifth complete game in baseball this season in the truncated season also yesterday all teams had to reduce their roster from 30 to 28 players Seattle ended up optioning right-handed pitcher Brian Shaw and utility infielder-outfielder Jose Marmalejos to the alternate training site. Up next, uh, Yusei Kikuchi, one of the crafty lefties, going to be on the mound, gets to start Friday as Seattle begins a three-game interleague series with Colorado. And Kikuchi, pretty impressive in his last start out, throwing six shutout innings with nine strikeouts against Oakland. Well, we got to hear from Richard Sherman getting ready for the season, um, and has anything changed in his prep? Kind of an unusual year, to say the least. You know, every year is a new year, um, and, and every year you got to you got to reprove yourself, you got to reestablish yourself, and you got to put it back on tape. And that's that's the plan. You know, I gotta I gotta go out there, I gotta work hard, I gotta be able to to to, to play well for my teammates and, and try to elevate my team and, and help us win ball games. I mean, that's that's the concern every year. Um, the off season has been different, but. You know, we're pros and we get our work in and we're, we've been able to prepare and, and stay on top of our game. Obviously, it's an adjustment and, and winning teams find a way to adjust the best in these situations. So um, I think the team that would adapt the best will be the one holding the trophy at the end. What has the testing process been like for him? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's, it's the mid-nasal swab. They're, they're going in, they're, you know, spinning it around one nostril, spinning it around the other nostril. It kind of tickles. Um, and then you go on about your day. Uh, obviously, they have the contact tracing throughout the building to make sure, you know, if, if, if there is an outbreak, if there is a positive test, it's, you know, it's able to be traced and contained. Um, but honestly, it, it takes about two minutes. And, you know, it's it, it's been, you know, it's part of your routine at this point. Yesterday, the opt-out deadline passed in the NFL. And a very personal decision for a lot of players. But Richard Sherman was asked... Uh, about it and said well it wasn't really a discussion in his household uh no that was that was never really a conversation honestly the more more of the conversation was whether her and the kids would come and how the school situations and all that uh would go um obviously i have my home in seattle um where we stay majority of the time but um outside of that i think that was the only concern and and you know obviously the safety of my kids and my family is the is, is at the highest uh for me uh, and, and that's the, the dynamic that we need to figure out. Um, and, and, and we've figured it out. They've, they've stayed back and, you know, we're adjusting in that in that regard. Um, also asked about how players plan to keep themselves accountable. He said at the end of the day, Sherm did that guys are grown men. They're pros. They have to keep themselves accountable. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think that I think the coaches are emphasizing it. But at the end of the day, these are grown men and these are pros. You know, if they're if they're gonna trick it off, they'll they'll get quarantined. They'll get replaced. It'll be unfortunate. Um, that's why we have testing every day, um, so they can catch it quick. Uh, but I think on a team like ours, and you know, we're we're uniquely um, constructed to deal with this because you know, obviously, we're in Santa Clara. There's not a huge nightlife. You know, it's not like we're in Atlanta or Texas or, or Miami or Las Vegas or L.A where there's a lot of distractions, a lot of places you can go, a lot of things you can do, do to get yourself in trouble. Um, I think our team is incredibly focused um, because of how close we were to winning the Super Bowl last year and, and how, you know, that taste in their mouths is, is, is a bit of discipline in itself. You know, that, that hunger, that, that angst um, is, is discipline in itself. So I think our team is incredibly committed and, 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 and driven 
towards that goal. And I think that in itself will be be discipline enough. You know, obviously we'll have the conversations, but, um, you know, th- those aren't things that are in anyone's control, but but the guys being disciplined. Richard, too, on he mentioned that word elevate a lot of times in his press conference uh, that this season is all about elevating from last year and uh, that it is both with the players and with the front office. It's about elevating. You know, last year was a pretty good year, you know, but we did. There are a lot of things we could have done better. There are a lot of things um, we wish we could have had back. A lot of things we could have been sharper on. Um, a lot of communication that, that we, we, we need to be sharper on. And, and those things will be better this year. You know, I think another year of continuity, another year of, of being in the same room, being in the same scheme, knowing each other will be sharper. You know, I think coming into last training camp, there were a ton of questions. You know, there was there was there was Jimmy Ward and Tarts. Um, you know, how healthy would they be and how they would get through the season in their first year together after Jimmy played a year at corner and nickel. And, you know, he, he finally has some continuity. He has a new contract. He's going to be a free safety. Um, I think Tart, you know, having another year under his belt and scheme and understanding it. Um, I think, you know, at the right corner spot, Emmanuel Mosley having another year and, and really, really going out there and competing. I think I think that's what it's about. It's about elevating and, and being sharper this year and really holding each other accountable. Also, yesterday, we've had kind of just a lot of options in terms of sports to choose from. Uh, round one of the PGA Championship and round two getting underway today at TPC Harding Park. Three of the world's top five ranked golfers, including world number one Justin Thomas, finished the first 18 of the tournament above par. Tiger Woods, meanwhile, worked his way to within a few strokes of the lead. He ground out a two under 68. Bryson DeChambeau also just shattered, broke his driver, uh, subsequently cruising into contention by crushing the field in driving distance. Ending the day, though, in first place, Jason Day and Brendan Todd uh, tied in that spot, shooting five under. Brooks Kepka, Xander Shoffley, Zach Johnson, Justin Rose, and five others behind them shooting four under. Tony Finau, Daniel Berger, Gary Woodland, and five others, three under, and then Tiger Woods, Bryson DeChambeau, Adam Scott, Patrick Reed, and nine others at two under. Some of the featured groups from today, in case you're looking for some programming, John John Rahm, Phil Mickelson, and Sergio Garcia. They are going to be on 11.33 a.m. Eastern time. And then Tiger Woods uh, later in the afternoon with Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas, 4.58 p.m. Eastern time, featured group number one. Texas Tech firing women's basketball coach Marlene Stolings yesterday, a day after a pretty brutal report alleging a culture of abuse in her program. The athletic director there, Kirby Hocutt, announced the firing in just a one-sentence statement and then added that he planned to address the decision on Friday. Players made claims of abuse over the past two years in season-ending exit interviews that were obtained through an open records records request by the intercollegiate, um, but players dreaded there was a heart monitoring monitoring system um, that they said they had to be at at least 90% of capacity during games otherwise they faced loss of playing time or more conditioning work if they didn't but pediatric sports medicine experts saying that maintaining a heart rate that high would be very difficult to do over two years 12 of 21 players ended up leaving the program including seven that were recruited under Stolings. Yesterday, some breaking news on the Seahawks front. NFL Network's Mike Silver tweeted out yesterday morning, while the Seahawks appear to have moved on from Devin Clowney, who wants more than they're willing to pay, the team has interest in two veteran free agent pass rushers, linebacker Clay Matthews and defensive end Everson Griffin. 
A deal could happen soon. He joined Danny and Gallant here on 710 ESPN Seattle shortly after to explain. Well, I don't think cloudy is going to happen, but, um, you know, you've got this Trojan fest uh, where Everson Griffin is still out there. Uh, he's had a very productive career with the Vikings and Clay Matthews, who, uh, after all those years with the Packers, I thought looked really good for the Rams when he was healthy last year. Yeah, both veteran pass rushers had eight sacks in 2019. Clay playing for the Rams, Everson for the Vikings. Clay played in 13 games to Everson's 15. Clay slightly older of the two former USC grads at 34 compared to Everson's 32. And, uh, of course, Clay playing a little more of that Leo position, outside linebacker position, um, and then Everson Griffin, more traditional defensive end. Dave Wyman saying yesterday that he wouldn't be mad at signing Matthews, but... He thinks that the more the position of need, you have more flexibility with a bunch of Leos that you really need someone in that five technique position. I'll take, you know, I'll take uh, Clay Matthews. Great talent, everything. But if you just look at the numbers to me, at, at least on the defensive line, and yeah, to me, it, as far as the numbers go, it, it looks to me like they, they certainly could, they need Griffin more than they need Matthews. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Everybody have an incredible weekend, safe weekend. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.